Chapter 4.4 of the 9-11 Commission Report This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Rohde The 9-11 Commission Report Chapter 4.4 Covert Action as part of the response to the embassy bombings, President Clinton signed a memorandum of notification authorizing the CIA to let its tribal assets use force to capture bin Laden and his associates. CIA officers told the tribals that the plan to capture bin Laden, which had been turned off three months earlier, was back on. The memorandum also authorized the CIA to attack bin Laden in other ways. Also, an executive order froze financial holdings that could be linked to bin Laden. The counterterrorism staff at CIA thought it was gaining a better understanding of bin Laden and his network. In preparation for briefing the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence on September 2, Tenet was told that the intelligence community knew more about bin Laden's network than about any other top-tier terrorist organization. The CIA was using this knowledge to disrupt a number of bin Laden-associated cells. Working with Albanian authorities, CIA operatives had raided an al-Qaeda forgery operation and another terrorist cell in Tirana. These operations may have disrupted a planned attack on the U.S. Embassy in Tirana and did lead to the rendition of a number of al-Qaeda-related terrorist operatives. After the embassy bombings, there were arrests in Azerbaijan, Italy, and Britain. Several terrorists were sent to an Arab country. The CIA described working with FBI operatives to prevent a planned attack on the U.S. Embassy in Uganda, and a number of suspects were arrested. On September 16, Abu Hajer, one of bin Laden's deputies in Sudan, and the head of his computer operations and weapons procurement, was arrested in Germany. He was the most important bin Laden lieutenant captured thus far. Clark commented to Berger with satisfaction that August and September had brought the greatest number of terrorist arrests in a short period of time that we have ever arranged slash facilitated. Given the President's August Memorandum of Notification, the CIA had already been working on new plans for using the Afghan tribals to capture bin Laden. During September and October, the tribals claimed to have tried at least four times to ambush bin Laden. Senior CIA officials doubted whether any of these ambush attempts had actually occurred but the tribals did seem to have success in reporting where bin Laden was. This information was more useful than it had been in the past. Since the August missile strikes, bin Laden had taken to moving his sleeping place frequently and unpredictably and had added new bodyguards. Worst of all, al-Qaeda's senior leadership had stopped using a particular means of communication almost immediately after a leak to the Washington Times. This made it much more difficult for the National Security Agency to intercept his conversations. But since the tribals seemed to know where bin Laden was or would be, 
an alternative to capturing bin laden would be to mark his location and call in another round of missile strikes on november three the small group met to discuss these problems among other topics preparing director tenet for a small group meeting in mid-november the counter-terrorist center stressed at this point we cannot predict when or if a capture operation will be executed by our assets u s counterterrorism officials also worried about possible domestic attacks several intelligence reports some of dubious sourcing mentioned washington as a possible target on october twenty sixth clark's c s g took the unusual step of holding a meeting dedicated to trying to evaluate the threat of a terrorist attack in the United States by the Osama bin Laden network. The CSG members were urged to be as creative as possible in their thinking about preventing a bin Laden attack on U.S. territory. Participants noted that while the FBI had been given additional resources for such efforts, both it and the cia were having problems exploiting leads by tracing u s telephone numbers and translating documents obtained in cell disruptions abroad the justice department reported that the current guidelines from the attorney general gave sufficient legal authority for domestic investigation and surveillance though intelligence gave no clear indication of what might be afoot some intelligence reports mentioned chemical weapons pointing toward work at a camp in southern afghanistan called darunta on november fourth nineteen ninety eight the u s attorney's office for the southern district of new york unsealed its indictment of bin laden charging him with conspiracy to attack u s defense installations the indictment also charged that al-qaeda had allied itself with sudan iran and hezbollah the original sealed indictment had added that al-qaeda had reached an understanding with the government of iraq that al-qaeda would not work against that government and that on particular projects specifically including weapons development al-qaeda would work cooperatively with the government of iraq this passage led Clark, who for years had read intelligence reports on Iraq-Sudanese cooperation on chemical weapons, to speculate to Berger that a large Iraqi presence at chemical facilities in Khartoum was probably a direct result of the Iraq-Al-Qaeda agreement. Clark added that VX precursor traces found near Al-Shifa were the exact formula used by Iraq. This language about al-Qaeda's understanding with Iraq had been dropped, however, when a superseding indictment was filed in November 1998. On Friday, December 4, 1998, the CIA included an article in the Presidential Daily Brief describing intelligence received from a friendly government about a threatened hijacking in the United States. This article was declassified at our request. The following is the text of an item from the Presidential Daily Brief received by President William J. Clinton on December 4, 1998. Redacted material is indicated in brackets and read as blank. Subject, Bin Laden preparing to hijack U.S. aircraft and other attacks. 1. 
Reporting blank suggests Bin Laden and his allies are preparing for attacks in the U.S., including an aircraft hijacking to obtain the release of Shaikh Umar Abd al-Rahman, Ramzi Youssef, and Muhammad Sadiq Awda. One source quoted a senior member of the Gama'at al-Islamiyah, IG, saying that, as of late October, the IG had completed planning for an operation in the U.S. on behalf of bin Laden, but that the operation was on hold. A senior bin Laden operative from Saudi Arabia was to visit IG counterparts in the U.S. soon thereafter to discuss options, perhaps including an aircraft hijacking. IG leader Islambouli in late September was planning to hijack a U.S. airliner during the, quote, next couple of weeks, end quote, to free Abd al-Rahman and the other prisoners, according to what may be a different source. The same source late last month said that bin Laden might implement plans to hijack U.S. aircraft before the beginning of Ramadan on 20 December and that two members of the operational team had evaded security checks during a recent trial run at an unidentified New York airport. Blank. 2. Some members of the Bin Laden network have received hijacked training, according to various sources, but no group directly tied to Bin Laden's Al-Qaeda organization has ever carried out an aircraft hijacking. Bin Laden could be weighing other types of operations against U.S. aircraft. According to blank, the IG in October obtained SA-7 missiles and intended to move them from Yemen into Saudi Arabia to shoot down an Egyptian plane or, if unsuccessful, a U.S. military or civilian aircraft. A blank in October told us that unspecified extremist elements in Yemen had acquired SA-7s. Blank. 3. Blank indicate the bin Laden organization or its allies are moving closer to implementing anti-U.S. attacks at unspecified locations, but we do not know whether they are related to attacks on aircraft. A bin Laden associate in Sudan late last month told a colleague in Kandahar that he had shipped a group of containers to Afghanistan. Bin Laden associates also talked about the movement of containers to Afghanistan before the East Africa bombings. In other blank, Bin Laden associates last month discussed picking up a package in Malaysia. One told his colleague in Malaysia that they were in the ninth month of pregnancy. An alleged Bin Laden supporter in Yemen late last month remarked to his mother that he planned to work in Quote, commerce from abroad and said his impending quote, marriage which would take place soon would be a quote, surprise commerce and marriage often are co-words for terrorist attacks blank end of text the same day clark convened a meeting of his csg to discuss both the hijacking concern and the anti-aircraft missile threat to address the hijacking warning, the group agreed that New York airports should go to maximum security starting that weekend. They agreed to boost security at other East Coast airports. The CIA agreed to distribute versions of the report to the FBI and FAA to pass to the New York Police Department and the airlines. 
the FAA issued a security directive on December 8, with specific requirements for more intensive air carrier screening of passengers and more oversight of the screening process at all three New York City area airports. The intelligence community could learn little about the source of the information. Later in December, and again in early January 1999, more information arrived from the same source, reporting that the planned hijacking had been stalled because two of the operatives who were sketchily described had been arrested near Washington, D.C. or New York. After investigation, the FBI could find no information to support the hijack threat, nor could it verify any arrests like those described in the report. The FAA alert at the New York area airports ended on January 31, 1999. On December 17th, the day after the United States and Britain began their Desert Fox bombing campaign against Iraq, the small group convened to discuss intelligence suggesting imminent bin Laden attacks on the U.S. embassies in Qatar and Ethiopia. The next day, Director Tenet sent a memo to the President, the Cabinet, and senior officials throughout the government describing reports that bin Laden planned to attack U.S. targets very soon, possibly over the next few days, before Ramadan celebrations began. Tenet said he was greatly concerned. With alarms sounding, members of the small group considered ideas about how to respond to or prevent such attacks. General Shelton and Zinni came up with military options. Special operations forces were later told that they might be ordered to attempt very high-risk in-and-out raids, either in Khartoum, to capture a senior bin Laden operative known as Abu Hafs the Mauritanian, who appeared to be engineering some of the plots, or in Kandahar to capture bin Laden himself. Shelton told us that such operations are not risk-free, invoking the memory of the 1993 Black Hawk Down fiasco in Mogadishu. The CIA reported on December 18 that bin Laden might be traveling to Kandahar and could be targeted there with cruise missiles. Vessels with Tomahawk cruise missiles were on station in the Arabian Sea and could fire within a few hours of receiving target data. On December 20, intelligence indicated bin Laden would be spending the night at the Haji Habash house, part of the governor's residence in Kandahar. The chief of the bin Laden unit, Mike, told us that he promptly briefed Tenet and his deputy John Gordon. From the field, the CIA Gary Schroen advised, Hit him tonight, we may not get another chance. An urgent teleconference of principals was arranged. The principals considered a cruise missile strike to try to kill bin Laden. One issue they discussed was the potential collateral damage, the number of innocent bystanders who would be killed or wounded. General Zinni predicted a number well over 200 and was concerned about damage to a nearby mosque. The senior intelligence officer on the joint staff apparently made a different calculation, estimating half as much collateral damage and not predicting damage to the mosque. 
by the end of the meeting the principals decided against recommending to the president that he order a strike a few weeks later in january nineteen ninety nine clark wrote that the principals had thought the intelligence only half reliable and had worried about killing or injuring perhaps three hundred people tenet said he remembered doubts about the reliability of the source and concern about hitting the nearby mosque mike remembered tenet telling him that the military was concerned that a few hours had passed since the last sighting of bin laden and that this persuaded everyone that the chance of failure was too great some lower-level officials were angry mike reported to schroen that he had been unable to sleep after this decision i'm sure will regret not acting last night he wrote criticizing the principals for worrying that some stray shrapnel might hit the habash mosque and offend muslims he commented that they had not shown comparable sensitivity when deciding to bomb muslims in iraq the principals he said were obsessed with trying to get others saudis pakistanis afghan tribals to do what we won't do schroen was disappointed too we should have done it last night he wrote we may well come to regret the decision not to go ahead the joint staff's deputy director for operations agreed even though he told us that later intelligence appeared to show that bin laden had left his quarters before the strike would have occurred missing bin laden he said would have caused us a hell of a problem but it was a shot we should have taken and we would have had to pay the price the principals began considering other more aggressive covert alternatives using the tribals cia officers suggested that the tribals would prefer to try a raid rather than a roadside ambush because they would have better control it would be less dangerous and it played more to their skills and experience but everyone knew that if the tribals were to conduct such a raid guns would be blazing the current memorandum of notification instructed the cia to capture bin laden and to use lethal force only in self-defense work now began on a new memorandum that would give the tribals more latitude the intention was to say that they could use lethal force if the attempted capture seemed impossible to complete successfully early drafts of this highly sensitive document emphasized that it authorized only a capture operation the tribals were to be paid only if they captured bin laden not if they killed him officials throughout the government approved this draft but on december twenty one the day after principals decided not to launch the cruise missile strike against kandahar the cia's leaders urged strengthening the language to allow the tribals to be paid whether bin laden was captured or killed berger and tenet then worked together to take this line of thought even further they finally agreed as berger reported to president clinton that an extraordinary step was necessary the new memorandum would allow the killing of bin laden if the cia and the tribals judged that capture was not feasible a judgment it already seemed clear they had reached 
the justice department lawyer who worked on the draft told us that what was envisioned was a group of tribals assaulting a location leading to a shootout bin laden and others would be captured if possible but probably would be killed the administration's position was that under the law of armed conflict killing a person who poses an imminent threat to the united states would be an act of self-defense not an assassination on christmas eve nineteen ninety eight berger sent a final draft to president clinton with an explanatory memo the president approved the document because the white house considered this operation highly sensitive only a tiny number of people knew about this memorandum of notification berger arranged for the nsc's legal adviser to inform albright cohen shelton and reno none was allowed to keep a copy congressional leaders were briefed as required by law attorney general reno had sent a letter to the president expressing her concern she warned of possible retaliation including the targeting of u s officials she did not pose any legal objection a copy of the final document along with the carefully crafted instructions that were to be sent to the tribals was given to tenet a message from tenet to cia field agents directed them to communicate to the tribals the instructions authorized by the president the united states preferred that bin laden and his lieutenants be captured but if a successful capture operation was not feasible the tribals were permitted to kill them the instructions added that the tribals must avoid killing others unnecessarily and must not kill or abuse bin laden or his lieutenants if they surrendered finally the tribals would not be paid if this set of requirements was not met the field officer passed these instructions to the tribals word for word but he prefaced the directions with the message from the american president down to the average man in the street we want him bin laden stopped if the tribals captured bin laden the officer assured them that he would receive a fair trial under u s law and be treated humanely the CIA officer reported that the tribal said they fully understand the contents, implications, and the spirit of the message, and that their response was, We will try our best to capture bin Laden alive, and will have no intention of killing or harming him on purpose. The tribals explained that they wanted to prove that their standards of behavior were more civilized than those of bin Laden and his band of terrorists. In an additional note addressed to Schroen, the tribals noted that if they were to adopt bin Laden's ethics, we would have finished the job long before. But they had been limited by their abilities and by our beliefs and laws we have to respect. Schroen and Mike were impressed by the tribal's reaction. Schroen cabled that the tribals were not in it for the money, but as an investment in the future of Afghanistan. Mike agreed that the tribal's reluctance to kill was not a showstopper. From our view, he wrote, that seems in character and fair enough. 
Policymakers in the Clinton administration, including the President and his National Security Advisor, told us that the President's intent regarding covert action against bin Laden was clear. He wanted him dead. This intent was never well communicated or understood within the CIA. Tennant told the Commission that, except in one specific case, discussed later, the CIA was authorized to kill bin Laden only in the context of a capture operation. CIA senior managers, operators, and lawyers confirmed this understanding. We always talked about how much easier it would have been to kill him, a former chief of the bin Laden unit said. In February 1999, another draft memorandum of notification went to President Clinton. It asked him to allow the CIA to give exactly the same guidance to the Northern Alliance as had just been given to the tribals. They could kill bin Laden if a successful capture operation was not feasible. On this occasion, however, President Clinton crossed out key language he had approved in December and inserted more ambiguous language. No one we interviewed could shed light on why the President did this. President Clinton told the Commission that he had no recollection of why he rewrote the language. Later in 1999, when legal authority was needed for enlisting still other collaborators and for covering a wider set of contingencies, the lawyers returned to the language used in August 1998, which authorized force only in the context of a capture operation. Given the closely held character of the document approved in December 1998, and the subsequent return to the earlier language, it is possible to understand how the former White House official and the CIA officials might disagree as to whether the CIA was ever authorized by the President to kill bin Laden. The dispute turned out to be somewhat academic, as the limits of available legal authority were not tested. Clark commented to Berger, that despite expanded authority for CIA sources to engage in direct action, they have shown no inclination to do so. He added that it was his impression that the CIA thought the tribals unlikely to act against bin Laden, and hence relying on them was unrealistic. Events seemed to bear him out, since the tribals did not stage an attack on bin Laden or his associates during 1999. The tribals remained active collectors of intelligence, however, providing good but not predictive information about bin Laden's whereabouts. The CIA also tried to improve its intelligence reporting on bin Laden by what Tenet's assistant director for collection, the indefatigable Charles Allen, called an all-out, all-agency, seven-days-a-week effort. The effort might have had an effect. On January 12, 1999, Clark wrote Berger that the CIA's confidence in the tribal's reporting had increased. It was now higher than it had been on December 20. In February 1999, Allen proposed flying a U-2 mission over Afghanistan to build a baseline of intelligence outside the areas where the tribals had coverage. 
Clark was nervous about such a mission, because he continued to fear that bin Laden might leave for some place less accessible. He wrote Deputy National Security Advisor Donald Carrick that one reliable source reported bin Laden's having met with Iraqi officials who may have offered him asylum. Other intelligence sources said that some Taliban leaders, though not Mullah Omar, had urged bin Laden to go to Iraq. If bin Laden actually moved to Iraq, wrote Clark, his network would be at Saddam Hussein's service, and it would be virtually impossible to find him. Better to get bin Laden in Afghanistan, Clark declared. Berger suggested sending one U-2 flight, but Clark opposed even this. It would require Pakistani approval, he wrote, and Pakistan's intelligence service is in bed with bin Laden, and would warn him that the United States was getting ready for a bombing campaign. Armed with that knowledge, old wily Usama will likely boogie to Baghdad. Though told also by Bruce Rydell of the NSC staff that Saddam Hussein wanted bin Laden in Baghdad, Berger conditionally authorized a single U-2 flight. Allen, meanwhile, had found other ways of getting the information he wanted. So the U-2 flight never occurred. End of chapter 4.4 4.